Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Wrestling Questions You Most Want Answered. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow Dudley Boy Michael Hamflit to do precisely that. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to Walkle to Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We answer questions, we review Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, Dynamite, Rampage, pay-per-views. We conduct wrestler interviews, hold roundtable discussions, and host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture there's no preamble here let's get straight to it go through the likes on twitter ah oh, christ this is a very good question but bloody hell hamlet no knee this is going to take up the whole podcast okay <laughs> why can't aew do women better on rampage they always get a hard ad break or just a really short match on the full gear card there's just one match on the main card why have they failed women so badly it's a very good question and it's a very good question particularly since it keeps getting asked, which itself indicates a real problem that shows no signs of going away. My opinion has evolved on this. When the criticisms first started to really get intense in 2020, my good faith counter-argument was the very experienced Joshi division, arm of the division rather, were exiled in Japan leaving a lot of green, promising, but green talents in a ratings war when AEW itself was struggling for numbers because pandemic wrestling just wasn't it for a lot of people. Yeah. The reason why they couldn't just go out and sign X, Y, and Z name talent like they have to enormous expense with the men's divisions is because years and years and years of institutional misogyny in pro wrestling means that if you were a, a wrestling fan and an athlete who happened to uh, be or identify as female, you're hardly going to look at bra and panties matches and think, oh, I'd love to degrade myself to get two minutes of my passion in. So it's a complex question. However, I think they're running out of excuses. Statland has remained in injury-free for a while. Ty Conti's shown loads of promise. Serena Deeb should be on television as much as Brian Danielson. Absolutely. Why is it okay for Brian Danielson to work these stunning, intricate technical walls when Serena Deeb can do them almost as well? And that's the highest possible compliment I can pay. I think they are quickly running out of excuses for the obligatory quality of women's wrestling, as Georgina very well points out. And I would address it, not that it feels a little bit like 
fantasy book in WWE at this point because, like, it feels like you're pissing in the wind a little bit by yeah. suggesting improvements because they're just not forthcoming. The TBS title tournament has been just about good enough so far. I will completely reverse that opinion if it doesn't heat up in the later rounds. My thing at the minute that I've identified as my issue with AEW's issue is that they, without the same conviction at all, they try and use the same philosophy for the women as they do with the men. The difference is that the men's division, for the reasons I've just laid out, has infinitely more depth and range and quality and whatever. But by preserving the big matches, as Hamlet said, we're already on the big chase to a big Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker rematch. To preserve that, we're getting a lot of star name versus green talent, star name versus green talent. Just the need to do more all-star stuff for the women's division. I understand yeah. that that limits narrative opportunities down the road, but at the end of the day, how are the women going to get any better if they've been marginalised in these penultimate quarter hours or wherever they are on the card these days? I would do a lot of all-star stuff and cultivate a really competitive division and worry about the storytelling later because the storytelling, to be honest, isn't even that in-depth. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with anything you've said there as well. I would add to it um, that for the longest time, um, and like we have debated this on other podcasts and offered various thoughts, and you know, on either side of the spectrum, both extreme and otherwise, coming in the middle, which I think is probably where everybody is now, albeit with more frustration because it continues to be this lingering problem. Um, I would say that for the longest time, AEW was, there was a perception battle with the women that they had created, whereby we know that so much of AEW is data-driven. Uh, Mookie's spreadsheets and Tony Khan's background in data drives so much of that product, more than any of us can probably wrap our heads around because we only have access to certain spreadsheets. And the data just wasn't favoring the women. And for the longest time, I guess, that was, that became, like the rationale for that became a little bit too normalized. So women weren't drawing in the quarter hours, but it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then you have all the, the various other hurdles that they experienced in the pandemic, of which there were there were many, and it was a continuing problem, regardless of how restrictions were lifted. Travel ones weren't necessarily so. But I think we're no longer, there's no longer a perception battle being fought by AW because it's no longer really a fight. They seem to have accepted defeat in the perception battle because ultimately at this point, the only way to fight that perception battle is do away with your panic over the data that you've assembled and the ratings worries that you might bring on to yourself because wrestling fans are quite forgiving and quite generous to a product that they like the majority of. They will allow for slippage or what they perceive as a waste of time in a show that they love. Like they will take something where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, but AEW hasn't wanted to take that risk even when the product was white hot, I would say it's red hot at the moment, it was white hot in the summer, and it undulates between the two. You know, it only ever goes from good to fantastic. That's where we're at with AEW as a whole at the moment. So there has never been a better time to actually fight the perception battle rather than deal with it. And that's where we come back to your point about all-star matches. It has to be more than two women's matches on Dynamite, and they don't even reach that half the time. It has to be two decent matches, or ideally two decent matches. You can't guarantee them, but theoretically, you set them up to pass rather than to fail. All-stars fighting all-stars. And you just work with what you've got 
until the perception gradually changes. And as the perception changes, there is the motivation to tell the stories because the ratings start to creep up as a result. You build three or four more stars. That happens by default. Nobody is going to women's revolution was sort of a, a perfect storm of the very, very hard work that Triple H did in NXT in signing and developing a lot of talent from the like prosperous, but not financially so, women's independent scene. He spotted that when no other mainstream company was doing it. Put them through the NXT system and the main roster could be almost flooded with talent straight away. Nobody is going back and revisiting, let's say, 2017 WWE Women's Wrestling and saying all of it was awesome. Everybody goes back and saying the horsewomen were great. Alexa Bliss was a surprise hit. Asuka was like an elite tier talent, but nobody's saying that about everybody. But the point was the flooding of the show with two or three, four or five great talents elevated everybody. It absolutely was a rising tide raising all ships until you had a situation like in 2018 where Evolution could be the best pay-per-view of the year. And again, nobody's saying that everything in Evolution was a five-star match, but the whole thing felt like a five-star experience. And we are definitely at the point, thanks to less restrictions, thanks to AEW having more television time than ever, and AEW being in a better position than ever to take a couple more risks. They're not even big risks, but take a bit more of a risk with your television time to look at the bottom half of your mid-card and just, like, it's going to seem brutal to the, the male wrestlers affected, but tough tits, make the straight swap, make the call, take that bottom half of the lower card male and just think about it differently. And because wrestling fans are so forgiving and kind, it'll take half the time to address the problem as it took to cause it in the first place. It only ever takes one good pay-per-view match for a lot of people in good faith to say, I think, I think they're on the right track. You know, it took Britt Baker, Thunder Rosa, main event in Dynamite for people to be like, maybe they're cracking this. It took Deeb and Riho nearly stealing double or nothing on the buy-in for people to be like, they can do this. They really can. It would only take six to eight weeks of addressing that perception problem. And already, I think you do away with these criticisms that have never, ever gone away and justifiably so. That's a great measured response to a very good question. Next up is Henry Morgan asking, Hello, legends. Do you guys think that years and years of only WWE programming has affected our ability of enjoying long-term storytelling and letting things, in quotes, play out? It seems that people are quick to judge a segment match rather than look at the big picture thoughts. I've said this several times. I'm in complete agreement. And we've had two years of a phenomenal company doing phenomenal things. The effectiveness of which could not be better summed up with better timing in that we have got Hangman Page versus Kenny Omega coming up on Saturday night, like yeah. two days removed from this podcast being uploaded to your feeds. That in itself should tell you, well, I invested on day one. It was day four because, well, day one, double or nothing. Mm. Hangman Page won the goddamn joke about Royal. So day one. He said at the press conference he wanted to be the AW World Champion. Yes. Yeah. Day one to day whatever, two two and a half-ish years later at this point. That's the measure of how much you can invest. And yet, you still, and that's bad faith mutants are bad faith mutants. You still get people who are anxious about certain developments in AEW at present, like, oh, hey, uh, CM Punk's run is taking a little while to get going. That's the prime example. I hesitate to use this word and I use it only because I can't think of a better one as a failure on my part because I don't want to conflate trauma with friggin a wrestling show but you know what I mean it's like it stays with people how bad WWE has been for so long and it yeah. was so rubbish 
so pointless, so numbing for so long that even after two and a half years, you still get this reflex of, oh, the contract signing on Dynamite, how rubbish is that going to be? Oh, it turns out it was absolutely great. You've, it, this, it's WWE's been so rubbish for so long that, yes, this problem still exists. And the potential tragedy for me, and this doesn't really bear thinking about, but you kind of have to think about it, is that great promotion lifespans don't last that long. No. <laughs> you never, like, get old, a good decade, and it fell off. Like, and that's one of the better runs. If we can get a decade of all elite wrestling greatness, great. If we can get just a promotion that's great forever, that's never happened yet. The worst part is, is that they could peak and do the very best thing they can do three years from now, and people are still thinking about this, and then that promotion declines as well. Yeah, that's not a worry, because I think we're... Um, the, the, the timing of this podcast, as you say, with Page and Omega, has been... It's still not worked in being the easiest argument to those that aren't like that are unhappy with the CM Punk thing. They, I, the Punk is the example because you are living through one whilst at the same time seeing the resolution of another one. Yeah. So it would be one thing for you to like two years ago maybe not see the wood for the trees with it relates to Kenny Omega and Hangman Page, but I think this should represent a difference on Saturday at full gear assuming that they go with what we all think is going to happen and happen and hang on page defeats Kenny Omega and wins the title. You were going to get that feeling of what it is to have invested in. It doesn't matter when you came on board. It could have been on that day one. It could have been three weeks ago, but you're going to get the feeling of something being paid off and like feeling extremely satisfied with the outcome that then should hopefully by the people that matter, which is people that care about the product. Anyone that's asking about this, that doesn't care about the product. It's not worth giving them the answer. You know, it's people that genuinely want to feel something and yet have been browbeaten by WWE into not. They should, as Hangman Page lifts that title above his head, be able, subconsciously, to look at everything else on this card and know that they will get that again. That's ultimately how wrestling's supposed to work. Yes, you are supposed to chase the dragon. You're supposed to get this moment that feels great and then suffer the roller coaster of emotions on your way to getting that moment again. It's not just supposed to be, here it is next week, here it is next week. We are not advocates for blanket fan service, but it's all about how AEW have timed out their fan service and timed out giving the people what they want. And that can be done, like on a grand level, that can only be done once every two years. But on smaller levels, that can be done every week. And if you allow yourself to enjoy being given the smaller portion fan service once a week, then it will very quickly become, and I, I speak from experience here, it will very quickly become easy to look forward to the bigger ones. Uh, I've referenced this before. Me and you had quite different takes on the 2019 era of dynamite i guess always feels like you draw a line but like between those dark order punches and 2020 doesn't it yeah. but like and then as sort of 2020 morphed into 2019 morphed into 2020 and there was i could just see what was happening in the bigger picture that i always liked in 2019 but i felt like the 2020 week to week was being catered more to my tastes that made it even easier to trust the big stuff it made it even easier to think well yeah that's going to be great that's going to be great that's going to be great and the as relates to the wwe thing I've said this before, the part of watching WWE is making countless compromises with yourself every week. And one of them is um, backing a wrestler in spite of what they're doing as a character. If you just have a favorite wrestler, you just want them to have good days at work. The most recent example is Xavier Woods winning King of the Ring. But there's ones all the time. And that comes inbuilt with panic. It comes inbuilt with panic that at any moment, 
Vince McMahon will click his fingers and it's game over for your favourite. And it's that more than anything more to do with long-term or short-term stories. I think what people need to understand when watching AEW is you can still pick your favourites, but it doesn't need to come with panic. We'll say hi, Phil. Hi. How are you? Now we good. No, we are good. I thought the people would want to say hello. Hi. That was Phil. Oh, hi, Phil. It's it's one of those where I legitimately don't know when it's going to click for people, and it makes me a little bit sad. Like, come on, just trust it. Hangman Page is going to win the friggin' AEW World Title. It's going to be fine. We'll fly through some more questions uh, right now. In fact, Leaf Ryan, good guy, good writer as well. If you were to create a world tag league featuring tag teams across WWE, New Japan, AEW, Impact, or anywhere else, who would you put in it and who would you have come out on top? I don't really watch Impact Wrestling, if I'm being perfectly honest. I just simply don't have the time to do it. Uh, I've seen enough New Japan World Tag Leagues to think that I don't really want to see them absorbed into a different company. And WWE sucks. So my fantasy book and idea, and I'm not trying to just completely abandon the question like... We're fans of Leaf on this uh, podcast. But I think, given how there's endless trios matches, we get MMA guys, Forbidden Door, one of the knock-on effects of AEW completely expanding its booking and fictional universe and collaborations, etc., is that the tag team division has really kind of fallen off as a division. I would do a proper tag league, like a, a block AEW tag team thing as opposed to the singles thing. I would like the singles feuds kind of write themselves are much easier. I would do an actual block round robin tournament with the tag teams in AEW just to kind of give a team a prestigious award that doesn't have to be a title because it's all very tag title centric and the rest of the teams just don't really do anything at the minute and it just be loads of fun in a round robin tournament make maths fun the matches are great because it's a sense of competition within the teams in like reality and in storylines. We know from the glorious days of the G1, like those guys used to just kill each other in a bid to improve upon the last main event because the G1 can never sag. It has to get better and better to hold the interest. So I think the round robin tournament format in itself is perfect. If it was AEW, I would give FTR a reason to stop bitching on Twitter in character. <laughs> I assume they're very professionally happy and it's a weird gimmick to suggest that they aren't. I mean, maybe it's like, you know, we're not the champions, so we're miserable. But then they do like the worked shoot-shoot stuff and it just annoys us a little bit. Like it literally, for me, detracts from their in-ring act. So give FTR, who I still think are great, less of a reason to have exhausting Twitter patter. The dream match for me in wrestling, let alone something that a world tag league could concoct, remains... Uh, Hangman Page and Hiroshi Tanahashi versus the Golden Lovers. Yeah. Still, it's still as, as this perfect combination of feuds, long-term stories, short-term stories, cross-promotional ones that existed before, during, and now presumably after the AEW Hangman Page, Kenny Omega arc. Um, and the match would rule the rule so hard. Um, I struggle. People ask a lot about AEW versus WWE. And this is where the, um, where the current wrestling war differs from the Monday Night War. Um, I won't include the Wednesday Night War in this because there was a period where people would have been pairing off NXT wrestlers versus AEW ones. But in the Wednesday Night War, it was always, oh, what would happen if Austin fought Goldberg or so-and-so? It never really feels like that now when you think about WWE versus AEW guys because I like you can't really fantasy button because WWE can't tell stories or create characters. 
And I don't mean that like sounds so broad and sweeping, but it has That's a true. It has a detriment on being able to have fun with the fantasy booking because what you have on one side, the whole point of WCW versus WWE when that was hot was that you had two, like it was a mega powers explode or an ultimate challenge type vibe. The idea was like, well, if this match was going to happen, it'd be the end of the world. So it doesn't matter if buildings tumble around them because it's going to be a fight to the end. I don't get that out of anybody because Adam Cole in AEW would smash just about everybody in WWE if you look in them strictly as characters. One guy is cocky and cool and confident and super over and virtually everybody save about five guys on the main roster isn't. So there's just, there's so few pairings that you see from WWE. But because you've given me World Tag League, and because genuinely, I think there was a missed opportunity to do a couple more of these because of how one can carry the other, because of how awesome on evidence the big spots can be. The Young Bucks and the Graveyard Dogs. Yes. Because we had evidence that it turned out one of Roman Reigns' best roles was carrying The Undertaker through his big moments against guys that would bump for him and guys that would commit. The Young Bucks are, like, operate typically on another level psychologically. Roman Reigns has kind of, like, just, I guess, like, smoothened out any edges that were remaining in his game when he's become this heel character. He's about as perfect as he can possibly be. And The Undertaker's got three of the very best to walk him through something. So in terms of ludicrous dream matches between those companies that could be built in a tag framework, give me a look at that. I'll tell a lie. Before we very quickly move on to the next question, I do, in fact, have an AEW versus WWE tag team dream match. And it's out of spite. But that's just me. I would love to see, like genuinely, I would love to see the match, but for a pretty cynical reason as well. I would love to see the Young Bucks versus the Usos because it would be the best match by some distance the Usos have ever had. And what's a common denominator in that? Yeah. It's the Young Bucks. Let's uh, let's be fair as well, because of all the the gamer stuff, but how great the New Day and the Elite would be awesome as well. Yeah, that would be awesome. That like, would be absolutely that, awesome. And they've, it's a match that both teams want. So let's yeah. try and will it into existence. Not happening. WWE sucks. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We've had a few questions along these lines. Um, so we'll just pick one. This is from A.H. Grey Rat. If the rumours about Okada are true, and assuming it isn't a one-off match appearance, any AEW dream matches for him other than Kenny Omega come to mind? Oh. 
Well, it's really hard to look past Kenny Omega because you're dealing with the dream match of all dream matches, uh, a fifth go at the greatest match in wrestling history. So I would have to, again, go to other dream matches that never felt possible and say Brian Danielson. I know I'm leaning on um, an AEW signing rather than an AEW original, and there's lots of fun to be had with him, I don't know, taking on Cody or Hangman Page or somebody like that. But, yeah, ultimately, at this point, we're getting Brian Danielson fighting guys that we never thought he would face, and we can get Brian Danielson versus Kazuchi Ricarda. And then from Danielson, as is the case with most things, we go to CM Punk. CM Punk is a guy that you never imagined would wrestle again, let alone wrestle somebody of the stature of Kazuchika Okada. So, yeah, give me the obvious ones. Give me the thumbnail-level dream matches. I want Danielson and I want Punk, if not for nothing else, because they're not old guys, but they do have a shelf life compared to some of the younger ones. And Okada's got a lot longer to get round some of the younger guys. He's got less time to have these classics with Danielson and Punk. So, yeah, AEW has created the playground for these dream matches. So let's have them. I want Danielson versus Okada desperately. I want Okada to be able to do nothing with that Rainmaker of his because whenever he tries to throw it, Daniel Bryan will try and ensnare it with like a thousand and four holes that he's got <laughs> at the minute. That's my ultimate one. Uh, it's like Okada versus anyone. Like Danielson versus literally anyone is a dream match in AEW at present, and it's the same thing with Okada. Um, but the Danielson one for me. This next question I have selected to answer because I've got the exact same finish in mind for the match. With Dan Lambert put when Dan Lambert put Jericho through the table and hit the wall of Jer- walls of Jericho, do you think every single member of Inner Circle will hit their finisher moves on Dan Lambert with Jericho ending it with the Judas effect and the walls of Jericho? Uh, as soon as he was in the match, my mind instantly went to, he's going to be Vince McMahon taking every finisher in the bar. Yeah. This is a guy who, with no physical comeuppance since July, Road Rager was his first appearance. It just took everyone by surprise. <laughs> it was awesome. Since July, we're now in November. He's trash-talked, not just some of your favorite AEW wrestlers, but you, the AEW fan, for all of those weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of trash talk, he needs to take a commensurate measure of an ass kicking. So yeah, do the Vince McMahon in a bar. You know, he's legit, obviously he's a legit skilled black belt in himself, hence why he's got the credentials to coach American top team. I would kind of like to see him do a proper, holy, you can actually do something to these guys within reason to like maybe Ortiz because he's got the comedic slapstick ability to sell it. And it's like, oh, he's just great in that role. It doesn't really take anything away from him. And then he gets his ass kicked with an overkill spot at the end. Yeah, well, I think that's, it's less of the fun, isn't it? If he hasn't stuck and moved a little bit first and he gets something in that, yeah, as you say, gives people a shock because it, it's that's an old wrestling thing, isn't it? You're putting him over before you batter him. So if anything, it makes the battering look even better that they've taken a guy that's not this complete clown or not a complete hanger on from this group. Yeah, I, I would love personally, I don't know if this is a bit internet for me, but I would like Sammy Guevara to be the one to get the shine at the end. Um, he's been, he's got the TNT title and he's been put into, in yet again, a situation where he should be the one shining. He's been kind of, Put on the back burner by Jericho again. So it'd be nice if the finish went to him instead. Yep, absolutely. Right. Next one, we'll try and do about five minutes or 10 minutes more. 
Do you guys think this is from John Oldfield? Uh, that question beforehand was from Eddie Zamory, so thank you for that. John Oldfield asks, do you guys think there is too much focus on match time lengths affecting people enjoying matches for what they are? Personally, I think it's become an issue that is distracting from what's a good match that needs time compared to one that gets time but doesn't need it. I feel, conversely, like this is kind of going away a little bit. Mm. Um, in the TakeOver era... An extra 10 minutes of near falls and shocked faces seemed to be a grabby attempt at an extra half or a three-quarter of a star. New Japan Pro Wrestling, unfortunately, to this day, is insistent on the idea that a long match automatically equals a good one. I'm probably going to friggin' curse full gear at this point, but there's something about All Out, and in general, the way that AEW has kind of recaptured the magic that a short TV match, like a 12-minute TV match, can still be really great, really acclaimed without a desperate reach for that extra star rating because even all out like young bucks versus lucha brothers like i hesitate to use the word epic because it's just you know so overused but it felt like an epic match Mm. like this incredible emotional stunt war it only went i say only it's a long time 22 minutes yeah like and they still hit every single beat. They still went over the five-star limit. And I think that match, to me, indicated, particularly on a show where the match lengths across the board were like noticeably trimmed to the betterment of the show and the experience overall, I feel like it's changing a little bit. I mean, you've got Danielson just doing match of the air candidates in 14 minutes. Hopefully that's a trend that can influence and reverse a bad trend. That I agree with uh, John had plagued wrestling for about three or four years. Yeah, I am. Um, I wonder if match times are more about the wrestling you're not watching than you are. Um, I don't want this to like this could just be a, an isolated experience for me, but there is a lot of wrestling now, so I'm envious of the people that have got the spare time in their personal lives to watch everything. Um, but I certainly don't. And one of the things that, amongst a few others, chased me off New Japan when I was desperately looking to like fill whatever free time I had with the wrestling I could get around to watching was those like dreaded half an hour plus main events featuring guys you didn't want to watch. There would be a certain trust towards 30 minutes from an Okada that wouldn't be there for an evil, for example. Um, and I think match times, if any, if nothing else, for the wrestling that you're not watching, um, I would, far be it for me to give advice, but it's certainly helpful when that match time skews shorter because you stand more of a chance of thinking, like time, wrestling companies have spotted this as well. Time is one of the new big factors in whether or not somebody will invest in your in your product. Rampage, Rampage has been far from a perfect show, but one of the things that people are always grateful for is that it's an hour, 45 minutes plus adverts. Nobody really wants it to go to two because everybody knows that they're kind of getting enough in their wrestling diet. And I think the real great wrestlers the ones that remain ahead of the curve and the one that understand that you can tell the story in the time you need rather than the time you think you should have are probably mindful of that. Like even Brian and Omega, which felt for a certain section of the audience felt like appointment television probably stood a greater chance of getting watched because it only went 30 rather than going to say like an hour TV draw. Um, it would take something very special for me to find an hour for a wrestling match between two guys that maybe I didn't know as well. And I, I think that's like, that's got it. If somebody told you now, if there was a match between two wrestlers that you, that you didn't know well, but you knew were like, had a reputation, 
and you could watch one that went 10 minutes and one that went an hour. I think the days are gone where the hour would have prestige to it. Yeah, no, I'm exactly the same. I think Brian Danielson is changing the game. And it's consistent with the idea that AEW with Dynamite has kind of reprogrammed people's brains that the whole smorgasbord of pro wrestling is great. The angles, the storytelling, the promos and the pro wrestling where previously, because Raw was such dreck and, you know, people thought it, it isn't, but people did have the perception of New Japan pro wrestling as inaccessible because it's splintered on the world service with backstage interviews and separate bits or whatever. It's not this whole thing. And I just think AEW's perfection, of, near perfection of the TV model has made people realize, oh, it doesn't have to be big match festivals all the time. I'll say this as well, because of course we're going to use AEW for best practice more often than not with a lot of these questions. Um, a lot of people don't like it anymore and can't stomach it anymore. But even something like NXT 2.0 is more watchable with the match times that they're choosing to allocate to these predominantly squashes, developmental matches, I would I find it immensely more palatable in the way it is now versus Triple H giving 12 to 15 to like decent wrestling, but wrestling that wasn't going to change your life, getting like 12 to 15 minutes versus squashes designed to maximize people's like two or three positives over three minutes. I'll take that any day of the week. I think it's so much more watchable. That has been a genuinely good fix in an otherwise like ludicrous rebadging, but I think that has actively helped the development of some of the talents on NXT versus what they were having to struggle through before. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll just do two more questions because we're running short of time. Apologies if we didn't get round to yours, but you know we can do these more often and we do do them frequently. So we always appreciate your support, whether or not we can get round to yours this time round or not. Uh, penultimate question here. Hello, legends. You always get yeah, yeah, yeah. you get the question answered if you say that. Could <laughs> Reigns suffer his first pinfall loss to Biggie at Survivor Series due to miscommunication with Paul Heyman, thus more dysfunction in the bloodline leading up to a rematch with Brock Lesnar down the road? Uh, I like this idea and I don't personally. So I'd love to see Big E really feel more like a world champion than he is at present. I don't think they're botching his run because, uh, I don't know, that would suggest that they were capable of doing anything other than just stuff. But at the same time, I think in a perfect world, you build a star of the magnitude of Roman Reigns to ultimately get your own version of Hangman Page. They're not doing that at all. So with that in mind, maybe, yes, Big E should be the guy to do it. And then if you pivot to Lesnar, um, you can do a political one-month pay-per-view switch or something. And then he can do a Big E versus Roman rematch. I don't know. It's I, just find, I personally find it very difficult to fantasy WWE. I apologize. Yeah, I'd, see, I'd like to doubt the conclusion of Survivor Series more than I currently am because there is no title on the line. Um, they're a year plus into this Roman Reigns experiment. This time last year, it was never in doubt that Roman was going to beat Drew because he still very much needed it. We were very early into it and it was clear what they were doing with the character and it was clear that he needed major win after major win after major win to vindicate and justify the Roman Reigns that he'd become since returning. And... We are past that point now, and we know who this character is. Um, the gamble, I guess, feels much smaller than had Brock Lesnar beaten him in Saudi Arabia. They're, they're not going to take the title off him. It would be partially screwy. So whilst that perhaps helps the perception of Roman Reigns, then you're asking, well, does it really elevate that of Big E? Like, if you're going to do this, 
you've got like, and I understand where the question is coming from in saying that there's like a miscommunication with Paul Heyman, for example. But the primary reason you should do this is for Big E rather than to the detriment of Roman Reigns. And if Big E does it through Roman slipping on a banana skin, you've not really helped Big E. And again, that's WWE's way of thinking is like, oh, we're going to help both of them. In reality, you're going to help neither. And that's where I kind of hit a wall with Roman losing to Big E. This is the, in a lot of ways, this is the perfect win for Big E to pick up. There's no titles on the line. They can come away from this with Big E having a victory over him. And as you say, once Roman's without a belt or Big E's without a belt, one can challenge the other because, oh, well, I beat you in the past. Um, however, the only finish I could see would be Big E not stealing one. I'm not saying he's going to roll him up, but something not going Roman's way rather than because Big E has got it done. Big E's been the first guy to actually climb the mountain. And unless you're going to commit to the Big E win properly, it, like it feels just as wasteful as any other stolen one. I don't. What I'm saying is, I don't want to see Big E beating Roman Reigns if I have to see him celebrating by sitting on the ramp with his arm being raised. He's got it. They've, they've got to go full ball. It's a monkey's paw question because if in fact Big E does beat Roman Reigns at Survivor Series, it likely be because as the character's kind of becoming maybe a bit of a dick, he could just hit him with a belt shot when Paul Heyman botches the throw. Brock's music hits. But nobody comes out. And did Heyman know the music was going to play? You know, like the... Yeah, it's so hard not to be cynical. But that's WWE for you. Right, we have saved Hamlet. Your very best for last. Oh. Matt Reigns. Never heard of him. Yes, hi. Matt Reigns again. Sidgwick Megafan. Hypothetically, if someone had never seen AEW, which one match would you recommend for them to watch from the year 2021? Someone really should write a book on this company because it's a great time to be a wrestling fan. Love you guys. See, plural. Huh? Oh, yeah, I'll tell you. But again, tagged here is Michael Hamlet, Michael Sidgwick, and What Culture WWE. So maybe it just means Sidgwick and What Culture WWE. Oh, but yeah. Small but not inconsiderable part. There's, there's an accidental tag of my name in there. Yeah, you're in the podcast, aren't you? Oh, that's right. So he's not tagged me. It's just that I was in the original question. Yeah. It's a default thing. Uh, please, Sidgwick, I'm it by default. Answer my question. I'll very quickly answer it first because I've got one at the top of my head. I don't know if you do, so I'll let you consider it. Um, for me, 1 million percent Young Bucks versus Lucha Brothers at All Out 2021. You get... I know what. I should plug the freaking book because someone actually has written a book about AEW. <laughs> me! Michael, Peter, goddamn Sidgwick. It is available right now at whatculture.bigcartel.com once again that is whatculture.bigcartel.com the book is titled Becoming All Elite The Rise of AEW it is 120,000 analytical passionate insightful words about the factors that converge to create AEW and an in-depth review creatively of its seminal two-year lifespan already and a big major part of that seminal lifespan was Lucha Brothers beating Young Bucks at All Out. The reason I would show this uh, to a wrestling fan, someone who's inclined to watch wrestling, because you could give them a card or Omega for to someone who hates wrestling and they would just hate it. But a wrestling fan who's thinking, I've heard about this AEW thing, which one would I show to them? It would be that match. You've instantly got the steel cage. It's like an eye-drawing attraction. It reminds you of classic matches that you might have watched and stopped watching. So you instantly you've got, all right, it's big. And it's in Chicago. It's a big arena. You automatically associate with a premium, 
big time product that's a legitimate operation that people are into and you have the core of what professional wrestling storytelling is heightened and made more exciting by just how incredible all four workers are you've got this incredible aerial excitement fused like seamlessly as well they don't just do spots around the emotional core of the story but you've got just insane incredibly exhilarating action blended seamlessly with blood soaked emotional drama and it's just the perfect package for modern pro wrestling and a little bit of what you used to like for me that match um on the subject of it you know i was so happy for pentagon pentagon zero m whatever you want to call him because the vivid visuals really stuck with me of his almost panicked sad eyes with the blood in the mask and the mask almost off he's never looked more vulnerable which was perfect because the sympathy was absolutely extreme on the night but i just felt like it's really good that Penta L0 had the, the lasting visual image of that match, considering his brother gets so much more acclaim than he does, and it's not really <laughs> unfair. But Hamlet, what's yours before we close up? I was just thinking that we need on Dark or Dark Elevation to have a trio called The Big Cartel, and that can be a nice way to acknowledge that they listen and they want to promote the book, but they can't use the exact words. Get The Big Cartel on Dark or uh, Dark Elevation. Mine, um, same card, probably pretty predictable. Uh, CM Punk versus Darby Allen. To touch on how you closed your review of that match, uh, that tag match, was that it's a lot of the things you like fused with some of the ones that you've never seen before, which is to say that there's a guy that you perhaps remember from once upon a time or, you know, perhaps you've at least heard the name of. We've certainly come into contact with plenty of fans over Twitter over the years who became fans as a result of the pipe bomb felt very much a like year zero moment for a certain age range of wrestling fans. And odds are a lot of them probably didn't stick because what they got afterwards was a nowhere near enough satisfying follow through, but they loved this man um, as a lot of us did. And you get this really lovely version of that man that you might remember who looks absolutely enough like the guy that you used to see, but with somebody that's got a bit of extra time on the clock. Um, when you hit your 30s that sort of stuff becomes relatable um, but certainly anyone can see that this guy is having to really push himself against a younger more dynamic talent which again sort of fuses the AW can be both things this whole match is a love letter to, very literally in the case of Brett and the 123 Kid but a love letter to a match that took place once before but a love letter to an older style that has been ever so slightly modernised to fit the more dynamic profile of AW it is a fantastic match on its own terms. It is this really luxurious, wherever you put it on the star ratings, maybe three and a quarter to four, luxurious match, but it is more than that. It's way more than the holds, the counter holds, CM Punk, the Wiley veteran, Darby Allen, the carefree risk taker. It's an experience. It is in Chicago with a hometown hero, with a young guy that wants to make a name. The story doesn't require um, a video package. The story is told. The second the two men come face to face and the commentators are giving you the, the set dressing and all that sort of stuff. I just love it daily. It's the match I've watched more than any other. And AEW, especially since crowds came back, have offered quite a lot that have warranted rewatch. When you asked the question and I was thinking, I did flip between that and Danielson Omega for a bazillion different reasons, a totally different presentation. But what I'll just say for Punk and Alan is that it feels, in a good way, more disconnected from the week to week, from the episodic nature of AEW. Punk Darby Allen, for us, 
was this perfect coming together of special attraction and weekly episodic brilliant wrestling show that had elevated a performer like Darby Allen at the point where he could fight CM Punk to somebody, as you say, the casual wrestling fan dipping back in. This could be a one and done and you could have an awesome time with it and disappear. And your takeaway would be, wow, AEW's became this platform where you can get stuff like this. That's pretty cool. Like, I wonder if they've got a WrestleMania type show or something yeah. like that. You know, you would you would draw all those comparisons that your WWE brain, the things you like about WWE would go to. I think you would see it in Punk and Allen. And fair play to Mark. Good question. <laughs> I'm not beating that, so let's just close out uh, this podcast. If you have answers to the questions you most wanted answered in a debate, you can do so at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, whilst you're there on Twitter, you can follow Michael Hamlet at... Michael Hamlet. You can follow me at M. Sidgwick. A AEW full gear preview is going to hit your feeds tomorrow in addition to so much more other stuff. So keep an ear out for that. But for now, we will see you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.